Hey everyone! Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm one of your hosts, Alexis. I'm Dallas. And I'm Anne. And today we are covering our episode on Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn. And I just forgot his first name. Cliff Chang. Yes, Cliff Chang. So we're all very excited. This was my pick of the month, everyone. This one has been eyeballing me from the shelves of Barnes & Noble every time I go in and buy anything new. So I thought it was time. Was very, very pleasantly surprised by what was inside of this book. Because the cover is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Did not give any hints of what I was to find. But they were pleasant. Pleasant findings. <laughs> what did everybody think of the reading this week? Pleasant findings. I like it. This is my second time I've tried going through paper. I tried going through it once and I got to the end of volume one. And I remember the feelings I had after where it's like gorgeous artwork, gorgeous characters. I have no idea what I just read, though. Yes. And then going through (laughs) it this time, I felt about that same way until about the midpoint. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I'm like, I think I get it. I never landed on solid ground. I'm just like, I think I get it all the way into the end. And then the last issue, I'm like, okay, that was that was pretty. Good. That, was- that makes me feel so much better about my reading as well. Because I was like, am I just dumb? Am I too dumb to understand my own book? But no. <laughs> She's a lot. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that plenty. Dallas, what did you think? Paper Girls is one of the most interesting relationships I have with a comic, maybe ever. Because every volume of Paper Girls is a delight. Mm -hmm. I think Brian K. Vaughn is fantastic. I think Cliff Chang is fantastic. The progression of Cliff Chang as an artist from volume one to volume six is crazy. He came in a master and he left on a level all his own. And yet the end of every volume of Paper Girls, I go, eh, okay. Like there's nothing that pushes me to the next volume other than just like I should read the next volume. I don't. Stephen King put it very well in Misery. He said, some writers and some books just have the I gotta. Like, I gotta know. I will be late to work because I gotta know what happens next. I will stay up late because I gotta know what happens next. Saga has the I gotta. Like, I have to read the next issue. And I have gone to bat for Brian K. Vaughn as one of the greatest single issue writers in modern comics. And I think Paper Girls has some of the weakest single issues of his career. (laughs) Like, this is a volumes only book. But it's so it's still so good. Like, I'm going to say so many good things about this book throughout this show. But I needed right out of the gate to express this weird relationship I have where, like, I can never remember if I like Paper Girls or not, even though I have a great time reading it. Yeah. That is the best way to put it. (laughs) I was super excited going in. I mean, like I said, the cover has caught my eye time after time after time. I wanted to know about these exciting little preteen girls on this cover of this bright turquoise book. Also, huge book, which was fascinating to read on uh my ipad which i was so sad about I keep talking about how the actual paper copy caught my eye but i did not get time to go pick it up this week so i could read it before 
today. But I I honestly thought it was really fun. I mean, Dallas and I kind of mentioned offline a little bit. Um, I commented that it gave me very strong Stranger Things vibes. And Dallas told me that this came out a month before the first episode of Stranger Things came out, which I mm-hmm. thought was very funny. Um, <laughs> must have been something in the water, he says. Um, but I just feel like there's something so endearing about a little ba- a little band of preteen, young teenagers hanging out, going on wild, kooky-ass adventures. And this is exactly what this is. They're literally time-traveling through decades and decades and centuries of time past their own little it was 88 i think it was 1988 where they're from yep yeah 88 which is such an interesting pocket dimension of its own <laughs> 1988 but and it just it just was so fun like i thought it was really fun lighthearted it was sometimes really hard to keep a grasp on but you got to keep trucking it's like you're holding on to the edge of of a magic carpet pulling you pulling you through the dirt, but you think you got most of it. But I just, I don't know. I feel like with the story, the characters being so endearing, also like the beautiful, beautiful artwork throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing. It just was really awesome. I had a good time. Cliff Chang is one of my favorite artists. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so hard because I loved his Wonder Woman run and I call it his more than I call it Brian Azzarello's because I loved everything that he did on that Wonder Woman run. Everything that Brian Azzarello did, I could take or leave to be honest. You the number one hater. I'm going to get Matt I am... Draper on this podcast and we're going to talk about how that run secretly good. <laughs> You're going to get me be like, by the way the sword is actually a phallic symbol and why it shouldn't be associated with Wonder Woman. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about making the God of War her dad. Or not, well, not her dad, making her the god of war. A character. Okay. Anyway, we can't talk about that right now. That's an episode for another day. Flustered. Um, flustered her. I dare you. <laughs> I've been flustered. It's an interesting example of what happens when you have really, really great characters, but a story that does not find its proper footing to begin with. I think if this story had had a more solid issue one, if this story had had a moment much earlier on than when it actually happens that lets you know, hey, here's what's actually happening right now. Here's why things are going the way they're going. This is the central tenement to the plot. It would make everything come together so much better because the characters are already there. The art already there. The emotion already there. It's just the tangled web of a plot that just needed a little bit more work. And it's like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but... Yes, I will add, this was my second read through. I've read the whole thing. So Alexis, this is your first. And you said you'd read one volume and then this you reread that volume and then everything else was new. Yes. Second time through. Really good. Okay. Okay. It absolutely, absolutely should have had a stronger hook. I actually went back and listened to reviews about this show from or about this book from when it came out and they were like, we're just here for the names right now for like the first seven issues. They were like, Mm -hmm. what the hell is this? And I was like, okay, it's not just me. Like other people were like, what the hell is this? Because in hindsight, a lot of people love and talk about paper girls very highly, but I just had this bafflement the whole way through that on a second reading, 
there's actually a lot of really interesting stuff set up a lot of really like it's a pretty great piece altogether Mm -hmm. it just feels a little bit like it could have used a little stronger hook and clarity in the beginning out of the gate Mm -hmm. it's one of the like you get the answers you want about halfway through when you finally meet the um the artist of that one comic strip who finally explains mm-hmm. like hey what's ha- what what you're in the middle of is a war between two different generations of time travelers old people who think that the past can't be changed and young people who want to change the past that's what you got caught up in and you're being swept across time because of their carelessness if that had happened like 7 issues earlier because I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen until like issue 14 or 15. It's a long time. It's it's very far into it. It happens at the like pretty close to the halfway point, if I'm not mistaken. And it definitely feels like it. Because I think you go through the first half of this book being like, so much is happening. It's a lot to take in that I'm just I'm just kind of here for the the vibes, the characters, the art. But then when that hits you spend the rest of the time trying to like recover. I that's what I did at least. I was trying to like mentally recover was like, okay, I think I have my footing. But then I'm spending the rest of it it's like I'm reading the the rest of this book while I'm still trying to take in the the first half. And it just it kind of leaves you on a first read through just breathless where you're like I feel like I just had to fight this book to get it. But I'm glad that you said that on a second read through it's knowing everything that happens in it, it clicks much better and that the pieces do come together. It absolutely does. And something that I found comforting on this read through as well is the fact that the characters are as lost as you. Yes. You know, like you're right there with the girls being like, what the hell is happening? What the hell is happening? Now we're back in South America. That was one complaint I had. When they back to the Pleistocene and they went mm-hmm. back to Stony Stream. They were not in Ohio. Those were all South American Pleistocene animals. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, well, actually, you see, uh, terror birds uh, did not ever make it to North America. After the land bridge between North and South America connected at Panama, you see the saber-toothed cats and humans, they came down South and they eradicated the terror birds. There was never any cross-population <laughs> going North. <laughs> That's Every time you make that voice, you remind me of that damn professor in the Simpsons TV show. Oh my gosh. Every time. That's you. Oh, I did I did geek out the moment I saw the Megatherium, though. I'm like, oh, oh that's my big chunky boy who's a good <laughs> chunky lad. Listen, when that Glyptodon was in there, I was like, that oh, baddies only. Baddies what? only Glyptodon. <laughs> what did she call it? She said the walking rock or the Yeah, 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 yeah. Something funny some, like that. Like, that's beautiful. Uh, it's much stronger in the second half okay yes for sure yeah that was the that's the main sin against the book the second biggest sin is that the old guy definitely called the quetzalcoatl as a dinosaur at the end but you know everything other than that listen stephen king has one thing he (laughs) likes to make people do to prove they're a villain this is better make someone call something a dinosaur that isn't that's just as clear of a way of showing that they're a villain that'll do it Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at any marine reptile and you tell me that thing's a dinosaur, we're fighting on Spock. So I'm like, you're a supervillain. You're the baddie in the story, not me. If, watch myself. if their favorite dinosaur is an ichthyosaur, it's mm-hmm. on sight. Throwing hands. Yeah. <laughs> like my favorite dinosaur in Jurassic World was the Mosasaur. No, no, go home. Wrong. 
But those qual- I liked though as well from issue one to the last issue, you could see that Cliff Chang kept looking up the most current science on Quetzalcoatlus. Yeah, because they got more feathery, they got more colorful as you went. I was like, look at you doing your research. <laughs> Go off the, Cliff Chang. The wings were kind of funky in issue one, but they got they got resolved. We, I think this book came out when we had that big revelation about how pterosaurs actually walked, which was fun because for so long we were going with like the walking with dinosaurs model where it's like they, they kind of got their like their little waddle. But now now we know better. <laughs> Sorry, we, we hijacked this for this paleontology hour. This is a completely hour. different type of nerd podcast now. What the hell? This is good radio. Listen, if you, <laughs> if you listened to our episode that we released last week. That was bad radio. This is good radio. Which dinosaur do you think tasted the best? From when we recorded it. Wait, no, Lexi. Which dinosaur do you think tasted best with chickpeas? This is this is oh, a serious question. That is a good question. Because <laughs> I personally think just a nice velociraptor think, ring. Beautiful. Yeah, see, or maybe one of the ones that swims. I don't know. Would dinosaurs taste like chicken? I would assume so. I would think I mean, that they would. How much do you think bird meats changed in sixty-five million years? Probably not, much. not that much. Okay, I know this is going to make me sound super stupid, but <laughs> some Good. I was listening to this paleontologist on, you know, as you do on a Tuesday, yeah. mm-hmm. and they just talked about the scales on a bird's feet, and I was like, those are scales down there. Yeah. Like I fully, I'm like yeah, birds are dinosaurs, and. They've all from dinosaurs. Feathers are modified scales, but like their weird little feet, for whatever reason, them saying like a bird's scales. I was like, what? Oh my gosh, you're so right. Uh? (sighs) I love that the simple things can still bamboozle you. That means there's no, no I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fair realization. The, the more I've been alive, the more I look at a bird and I see the dinosaur in the bird. It's so there. They can't be trusted. (laughs) It's why they're not real. It's why the government government has hired all the pigeons. No, no. This makes so much sense now because now it's a perfect conspiracy because they invented dinosaurs to cover up the fact there was no evolutionary predecessor for the freaking birds. So the government's like, if we make them believe those big lizards actually turned into the big chickens, shoot. And then then got really tiny chickens. Are you showing me the slur? Dallas is showing me a slur. (laughs) That's, that was like a jump scare. I said, oh, no. What Do have you, I done? Talking, uh, her name's Mac, right? Yes. Sorry, so many characters I got to keep track of. Um, I love her evolution as someone mm-hmm. who is very clearly yes. out, outwardly bigoted because she's trying to hide the fact that she is a, a queer person. She is trying. Mm-hmm. I've you, you see that so often where someone will start out very homophobic, very transphobic very queer phobic if they themselves are scared of who they are because they're like if i just act like the biggest hater no one will suspect it's me that's that scene where we first see her in that dream checking out the um the sapphic book from the library and Mm -hmm. i was like oh you poor repressed baby i'm so sorry that you grew up in this time and then at the end where it's like even though they've lost their memories they've still changed as people because she takes that hesitant moment where she's like uh Fart face. Fart, Fart, Fart mouth. mouth. Yes. And then his friends are like, yeah, you could use a mint. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's some teenage boys right there. There you go. See, kids, this is a lesson. Sometimes you don't need the slur. Um, exactly. Actually, you never need the you slur. You never need the slur. <laughs> Sometimes, she says. <laughs> you heard it from Anne you- here, folks. I mean, t- 
I mean, technically, she could use the slur. It's, you know, I, I can't. It's her word. <laughs> it's her word. Um, that was yeah. foreshadowing, actually, what Brian K. Bond was doing. Brian. I, well, I mean, I think it is, right? Like, it's yeah. it's intentional. That it's, But when it's you read it for the first time, like, it doesn't feel like it. Oh, no. Yeah. The first time you read it, you're like, whoa, Brian. Whoa. And then in hindsight, you're like, oh. oh. <laughs> you were doing something there. Oh, Brian. Oh, I, like, how many times in comics are they doing something that we're like, wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's got to be the most frustrating thing as a comics writer to be like, I promise I'm smart. Bide than your this. time, like, bitches. Me, Come on. Yeah. Give me a little rope. <laughs> it's like Frank K. Vaughn's like, listen, it's not 2001. I'm not writing Why the Last Man again. I promise this has a point. <laughs> listen. I was like, Brian, how are you going to put in your trans character? And then he was like, boy, am I. <laughs> She's so cool. In volume five, I was like, Brian, look mm-hmm. at that. You didn't even make it a very special issue this time. You just gave her the, the trans flag as a costume. <laughs> so we would know. It's subtle that way. Yeah, you Sneaky. know, it's it's a, it's a real show don't tell moment from Brian K. Vaughn. You know, you had your show don't tell moment with Petricor, and he learned and had a show don't tell moment with this character. We are evolving as a people. Evolution. He's got the he's got the spirit. So, Lex, this was your pick. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the characters? The whole thing as a piece. We've talked about how the first half is kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the characters. Let's talk about the vibes. Did this give you what you wanted out of this book? I would say yes. Off, out from the gate, I would say yes. This did give me what I wanted. I feel like for me, having been a 12-year-old girl at one point with a little ramshackle pack of friends, this seems very much what would happen if a 12-year-old girl group was sucked into the future. Like, I'm sorry, the scene where I want to say it was KJ gets her period. Yeah. And it was Mac KJ. is like, oh, should you be climbing that tree? And KJ's <laughs> like, yes, I am fine. Thank you. Like, that is the most 12 year old conversation. Like, the ones that got the education and the ones that for sure didn't because they had single fathers that didn't come to maturation. Uh, everybody's got that one friend who was just traumatized. And it just. It just it had that perfect mix of like big sci-fi, crazy high stakes of this whole universe that's so much bigger than them. And then also their little interpersonal relationships that they're forming and starting to care for each other to the point where we get this huge reveal at the end. Like we're wiping your memories. Like this is why none of your older versions of yourselves remember each other we are wiping your memories and they make it such a big deal that with that having been done to them they still continue their friendship at the end which i feel like was so wholesome to me and also another really big part that i loved and hit me a little bit harder was i think the cute quote-unquote new girl they call her new girl but i think her name's erin yes um when they meet her older self, like the very first of the older selves they meet is Erin. And she's like the quote unquote washed up little 
writer at the local paper hasn't done anything with her life. And she's like kind of bad mouthing herself. And she's like, I can't imagine, like, I can't remember exactly what she says. But she's like, I can't imagine how you must feel like looking at me thinking that I'm just some fat, washed up nobody. And just like the little Aaron being like, I don't think that at all. And then her just like smashing into the back of the bit of the adult Aaron and adult Aaron, like whirling around and giving her the biggest hug. Like if I could just do that to my younger self, <laughs> like the world would heal. <laughs> but it just is stuff like that for me. Like, yes, the story is big. It was kind of confusing at times, but I feel like for me, it was the little stuff that made it so much more and made me latch onto it so much more mm-hmm. like the way I did. So I don't know. I just thought it was I thought it was really fun. And I definitely want to read it again because of what Dallas said that it's better the second time around. This comic had big you know, if me and my friends E.T., we would have killed them with sticks. I can tell you that much. <laughs> That's this comic book. <laughs> like these girls would have killed E.T. with a stick. <laughs> Criminal. I just know. They would have they would have <laughs> taken that lacrosse stick, they would have killed E.T. Whopped right there. Him. On site. He would have went. Okay, so I rewatched E.T. because of this. I did not remember that E.T. had such labored breathing. And my fat ass little cat breathes like that sometimes. <laughs> and so in the middle of the night, after watching E.T., I hear E.T.'s breath. There's <laughs> from the other room. And I was like, E.T.? And then my cat was like, Oh, you're up. Let's go eat. And then use my testicles as a launching board like she does every morning. Oh, no! I sleep on my back because I've become an old man. And that's how you have to sleep when you're an old man. <laughs> and I splay my legs out because I'm manspreading even when I'm sleeping. And the cat nestles up into that little A shape because she's like, the testes are the warmest bits. And so she sleeps like right on my lap. And then her automatic feeder goes off 30 minutes before I'm supposed to wake up. And I do that so that the whole time I'm up, she's like docile and like, I'm all fed and happy. But the side effect is that it goes, she hears the clattering of the food and she goes, and as Michael Phelps launches from exactly where she is and just grinds me to a pulp every day. And so all that to say, these girls would have killed E.T. And his little raggedy <laughs> ass breaths. Mac would have beat the shit out of that thing. Mac would have smeared E.T. <laughs> like, E.T. would have landed like in Mac's backyard. like her did to her friend. Oh, jeez. Wasn't there like another E.T. spinoff that was just called Mac or something like that? It was like <laughs> one of those like movies that's like trying to capitalize on E.T. And it's just so bad. Th- this has to be a thing. I'm not making this up. I Mac just, and I me. Know. That's what it's called. Right? I don't know. But I Mac know this. And me, yes, you need to Google Mac and me and you will understand it is the most cursed movie that has ever been made in the history of ever. I'm pretty sure it has that scene where it's like there's the person in the wheelchair and they just push him off the cliff. I'm <gasps> 90% sure that comes from Mac and me. Oh, these that girls, thing is creepy as shit. These girls would have given E.T. cigarettes and then when he started to die at the end, instead of being like, E.T., they would have been like, bye, bitch. <laughs> and like rode their little tricycles uh, away. Them smoking on the playground at the very end, all four mm-hmm. of them. I was like, "Yeah, you all, y'all needed that." That's the moment. <laughs> they That's needed the that moment. one. My question: They were like, "You taste like cigarettes and Everbright bubblegum." And she's like, "Is that bad?" I'm like, it certainly is memorable. <laughs> that made See, my heart melt a little bit. I'm like, "That was precious." 
that was KJ is that girl, frankly. She is. KJ's she my favorite next character. Door. Queen. Oh, she's so. <laughs> if you laugh at me, I'll punch you in the boob. This, <laughs> that's one of the best Brian yes! K. Vaughn open zingers. This is literally what would happen if 12-year-olds were in this situation. That is so true. I've had that conversation. <laughs> uh. I really like on the back of volume two, it's NPR says, Paper Girls tells its story from the point of view of young women, not boys, and it doesn't seem coincidental that its tone is harder, flintier, funnier, more pragmatic, and far less concerned with idealizing the lost innocence of childhood. I think the cast of characters is key in this book's look back at the nostalgia of the 80s. I did not intend the theme of the last two weeks to be we shouldn't look back to the past longingly but boy did these books both turn out to be about a very similar phenomenon where gen x good gen x writers are wrestling with the idea that we have built an entire generation of media off of being like man the 80s were so cool and they're finally all starting to realize like wait a minute they might not have been so cool Wait a minute. They weren't, actually. Everybody I love... just had bad hair and big opinions. <laughs> That's this podcast, Wait, baby. You... <laughs> How dare you? Bad hair and Freak big people. I think, it's, I think it's the other way. Big hair and bad opinions. It, or no, way, no one looks both bad. <laughs> hair and big opinions. <laughs> That's like, the comics collective, baby. This is why we're an audio only podcast. We're gonna gonna kill ET. Chaos. Let us know below. Would you kill ET, please? (laughs) ET was real fucking lucky, is all I gotta say. It's true. (laughs) So many kids would have fucked his shit up. Are you kidding me? If he came down to Earth today, oof. Any other state but California, he lands in Yuppieville, and this little kid's like, I think I love E.T. That kid lands in, E.T. lands in Nevada. He dies before he meets anybody. (laughs) E.T. lands in Utah. They convert him. E.T. lands in Ohio. They feed him chili on spaghetti, kill him on sight. No, no, wait, wait, wait. E.T. should come to Ohio. He would love it. He would love it. He'd show up and they'd be like, Grandma! Because that's how they look out in Ohio. When E.T.'s dressed up like the little woman, that's how grandma's looking, Ohio. <laughs> you leave my grandma out of this. <laughs> I, know, I was watching it, and I paused it, and I went to my wife, don't he kind of look like my grandma Janie? And she <gasps> lost her marbles. <laughs> Dennis Taylor! <laughs> how dare you? I'm going to tell mom he right, you though? said that. <laughs> I'm a little bit right. You Listener, uh, yeah, excuse me, uh, Kyle in the chat, could you pull up a picture E.T. in clothes and also pick up, pull up a picture of my grandma Janie. Just put those side by side in the chat, please. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry to make this an E.T. podcast. It's okay. I tried to subvert the last one into a Star Wars podcast, so I think you're within your fair. rights. Mm-hmm. Lexi, you got to find some way to turn Judas into a Barbie podcast. Challenge accepted. That's your job for next week. I mean, two weeks, listener. <gasps> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh. Real funky month. So, 
what did you think of this being a girls comic, right? Because like, yeah, Paper Girls is very intentionally like subverting the kids on bikes, boy heavy genre. Um, but I found myself really baffled by a lot of the pull quotes on these volumes I was reading that were like the feminist comic for this moment. And I was like, I don't know if I'm just reading like a lot of feminist comics or what, but like this one just kind of seems to be about girls. Is that like our one, our one qualification here is it's a deeply feminist Mm -hmm. comic. If it's just about girls, like I don't, (laughs) and it's not a fault of the book. It's just like maybe a fault of how we talk about these books. I mean, maybe it's a fault of the comics industry where they see one book where every character passes the Bechdel test and they're like, shit, this is revolutionary. You can put four women in the same comic and have them just be people. Holy shit. Holy shit. No one show this to DC comics. They will explode. It feels I, like George R. R. Martin was on the late night show once and they asked him, like, you're really quite popular for how you write your women. Like, what's the secret? And he said, well, I've just always had this radical idea that women are people, too. And it's kind of it's guided me well in these books. And that's sort of the attitude <laughs> of Paper Girls. Love George. <laughs> <laughs> like Paper Girls feels that way, too. The, I, I kept reading all these quotes that are like, this is feminist stranger things. And I was like. What are you talking about? No. I actually sat down with my wife today and was like, am I crazy or does this just seem weird that their one qualification is it has girls? Question mark? I, I'm i I'm just going to... I did it as like a joke answer, but honestly, I think it's just they know their audience. <laughs> they know the expectations around comic books as a medium. And I think they think this qualifies. Okay. I just want to make sure I was on the right page. Like you, yeah, both no. of you as well were like... I agree. This mm-hmm. one just happens to be about yeah, girls. It just happens to be about girls. There's not a lot in here that's specifically about gender at all. No, which is f- fine. Yeah. Especially coming from, we have a question later down about like, if it's Brian K. Vaughn's place to write this story that's mm-hmm. just like all female characters. Yeah. And I feel like the most helpful line in my head has always been like, it comes from N.K. Jemison. Where she says, you can include other people's other people in your stories. Just don't tell other people's story. Like you can have a bunch of female characters. But if your story is about like what it means to be a woman, like you might not want to write that as like Mm -hmm. a straight white dude. You know what I mean? Like you can have queer characters. You can have female characters. You can have a great learning that you're queer story. I didn't feel like it was out of place in Paper Girls for these characters to figure out they're queer. Because... I don't feel like Brian K. Vaughn was trying to masquerade as anything other than what he is. Right. Yeah. He was just being inclusive of what the world is really like. And I, I thought he nailed it. Like there are some Brian K. Vaughn books. You're like, man, you were trying your best for 2001, but man, Mm -hmm. that's hard to read. I feel like he learned. I think, am I wrong? Does this book just not have narration boxes through it? Is it just dialogue? Just dialogue, baby. Just dialogue. Number one, best comic in the world. <laughs> Hoorah! It's it makes it easy because he doesn't have to explain what's going on inside their heads. He's like, I don't need to tell you everything that a teenage girl is thinking. I just need to show you what how I need to show you how the teenage girl do, and he does that perfectly. So he keeps it exactly in his 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 range. He's like, I can do this. I can show you this view of life. I. To the point that I can 
understand it, which is from the outside. All right. I think one of my favorite moments in this book was when Tiffany, that's her name, right? Yes. When Tiffany realizes she has wasted her life on her NES. And that two-page spread of just her growing up in front of the Nintendo. And what a powerful use of the comic book medium Mm -hmm. to show those panels right next to each other. No words, nothing else. And you get the message right away. Fuck. And you have to ask yourself. This is something my wife and I have been talking about a lot recently. She saw a TikTok where... This woman said she shortened her life by doing the same things every single day. And so then when she looked back at a year, she couldn't remember anything from that year because every day had just been wake up, get ready, go to work, come home, make dinner, watch a show, go to bed. And if every day is the same, your life shrinks in your head. And we just both really want to prioritize having unique, exciting experiences you know like Mm -hmm. doing something to shake it up every day so they're we're living a memorable fulfilling life and i feel like that same message came through so strongly in tiffany's story in this book and like so satisfying to get to see double o tiffany learn that lesson from her younger self and then go on to have such an interesting life after being reminded of that lesson I loved the don't settle line from double O to mm-hmm. little Tiff said, you're yeah. right. And I, I love the fact that like she has, it's presented so off putting at first. Where it's like, how did she marry this guy? What is she doing? She doesn't, what is happening? And it's presented as just like, Oh, my life was wasted. But then you go back and her entire story plays out and you get to see all the cool things she does. I was like, no, she just realized that she needed to start living life. And so she did. And I think that's a very interesting take because a lot of times that would be presented as like the, the bad thing, the bad scenario. If this person just stopped caring, but I like that it gave her the leeway to do that. I think she had probably the most fulfilling arc out of all of them because she got luckier than um, Mac. For sh- Everyone got luckier than Mac. Mac's story continuously makes me sad. And I don't know. It's They all kind of get something out of it. Was Kimberly the... No, not Kimberly. Uh, KJ, KJ. Yeah, was she the only one we didn't get to see the older version of? Because we, we saw yeah, her clone. No we saw a clone but, of her, but not yeah. the older version. Yep, no older KJ. Also, KJ got kicked out of like a whole volume when all in volume two, when she yeah. went to the past and they all went to the future. I it was interesting because I'm pretty sure Brian K. Vaughn is Jewish. And so I think he was like, all right, the experience I know best, like, well, we're not going to write to that as much. <laughs> I don't know. I It was interesting, I KJ, in this book. I missed her. I want more KJ. I feel like she had a pretty of like, we didn't get to see her future self, but from my point of view, I feel like she was the person that learned the most on this journey. Mm -hmm. Like KJ at the beginning and KJ at the end, she, that girl grew up and I feel like she became, you start out with Mac as the de facto leader because she's like the mouthiest and they're all kind of these timid little girls that want to follow her. Mm -hmm. But by the end, 
I felt like KJ was the real rock of the group that was like, yeah. All right. This is what we're doing. We're I'm in charge here. She did a really great job taking everything in stride. And it goes to one of my favorite pages in the whole thing, which I posted about was just the um, Mac is like, Hey, this is all kind of weird right now. She's like, you know what? I saw a vision of my future and I'm a lesbian in it. And I might be a lesbian now, you know, who knows? And Mac's like, yeah, that's, Wait, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> great cartooning of her eyes going wide and then back to normal. So, so great. And I just love that Mac is always in a constant state of like sneer. So it's just perfect. Um, I was like, listen, I know Brian K. Vaughn hasn't had that queer experience, but that is a thousand percent what coming to terms with the fact that you're gay is. It's like, listen, I might be gay. <laughs> I might be trans. I'm still dealing with it myself. I'm not sure what to. I'm not sure what how to what to make of this. But all I know is I might be, and it all then it always turns into like, yeah, I am. I, I'm there. It was it was a fun moment for me. I think one of my favorite twists of the book was who the leader of the old timers was. Yeah, Joppo, and then that was Wari. crazy. That was some. A plus time travel shenanigans for me. Like, wait, the cave people we met ended up being the bad guys in the future? Oh my god! How did they get there? Crazy. They met the time travel mom? (gasps) And she adopted them? It was great. Yeah. Like, at the heart of the story, it's such a fun time travel story where everything knits together so well it's just it took a while for too long for it to come together for me but i'm it's a story that i'm gonna read again like it's not one that i'm like i want to read it again i know i'm gonna read it again because i want that experience of being like i want to go into this with that understanding because i think it's going to be a different experience a different level of enjoyment for sure because it's it's a book that it's like halfway through i i just kept thinking like i want to love this book there's so much here that I really, really like, and I want it to be at the next level. Something and I that, think it will be. I do like the volumes approach to this book, actually, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that every one of these six volumes that I picked up had the new characters that I was going to meet. So the first one has the four girls on it. And then the next one, and I've read this book before, and I was like, who are these? And it's old Aaron and clone Aaron. Mm-hmm. And then the third volume, you have Wari, Joppo, and Time Travel Woman all on the front. And you're like, wait, who are those again? And then volume four, you have older Tiffany. You have the person from the ministry that you get to meet that dies and like sends Joppo over the edge. And then you have the cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Volume five, you have old Wari. And you have our trans icon, whose name I forget. And then by the end, you have like the super secret girl squad of clones and then also real Tiffany on the cover. And it was just there are these really great capsules of story, actually. And I like the design of these books from Cliff Chang is really great, where all the covers have a unique theme, like each five issue set of covers all follow Mm -hmm. the same basic design. And then each trade has its own specific color palette, like. These are actual colorful artifacts that um, Cliff Chang created. Something interesting I learned from Brian K. Vaughn 
they made less money on this than they would have otherwise because Cliff Chang refused to print it on anything other than the highest quality paper available mm-hmm. because he's like, they deserve to have a nice comic. And we're, Paper Girls is going to be an artifact where you want to have every issue. The covers are going to be cardstock. The paper inside is going to be really glossy and nice. And it's just fun to see creators who finally have a budget to give you the kind of art that they always want to, but they might not be able to with other constraints. So fun. Everybody's just flipping through the pages of, a, of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm moment of silence I'm, for the, for the art. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Lexi. This is one of the ones that I'm sad I had to read digitally because mm-hmm. I just want to hold it in my hands and stare at it. It's so, so pretty. And who's the colorist, by the way? Matt Wilson. Matt Wilson did so, so great. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful stark colors that just draw. I think that's like every time I see Paper Girls on the shelves, my eyes go straight there. And it's just because the coloring, even on the covers, is just so exactly perfect. That's why Barnes it's mesmerizing. Like punching me in the face every time I see it. I'm like, hello, you. Mm-hmm. I'll come back for you eventually. It's hard to ignore, and it stands out. What was your favorite time-traveling shenanigan from this book? Um, I, I loved... Oh, who was it? I think it was KJ that went back to like the 20s or the 30s. She beat the shit out of mm-hmm. that little paper boy. I said, good for you. <laughs> he trying to steal your boots. You kick him. You kick him and you push him and you tell him to pound sand. I I really liked the future. I thought that Cliff Chang's future was really, really interesting. And it was just, I think, the most visually exciting era we got to see. Even though I am a big pre- pre- prehistory nerd and even though I did like seeing the end of the world, I, I love the moment where she's like, this is the end of the world. All the creatures here are so beautiful because they're the peak of what evolution has created. And then, oh, my God, I'm being eaten. Please save me. Please give me the gun. Give me the gun. I, I thought that was wonderful. I loved the single celled organisms getting blown up to be huge in like volume three. The that freaking tardigrades brilliant the tardigrades fighting i love the giant robot fights as well yeah mm-hmm. i mean there's something inside of me that was like hell yeah hell yeah kill <laughs> their ass giant get robots them. get them get i loved the tree of knowledge in the library i was like oh. if i could just hug you and mm-hmm. learn that would be the only tree i would really ever actually like to hug because i wouldn't be allergic to it and it would tell me all the things i want to hear <laughs> I liked the Garden of Eden and Eve imagery with like the Apple products and the trees. And Mm -hmm. like, then at the end, um, Mac just kind of coming out and saying like, I don't think Eve was the bad guy in that story. Like, yeah. I don't know. That was fun fact. Here's a little theology lesson. That's something actually that is (laughs) like, Within Mormon theology, that's just like the text for us is that like Eve is not the bad guy in that story. Like we have specific mm-hmm. scriptures in the Book of Mormon that's like, actually, Eve's the good guy in that story. So every time anyone else from outside of Mormonism like comes to that conclusion and it's always presented as like this subversive thing, I'm always like, 
oh yeah, you guys, you guys think that she's the bad guy. That's kind of fucked. Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's weird. Because it's just like, by no means do we always have the most progressive takes on things. So it is nice to have one. It's nice mm-hmm. to have one nice thing. <laughs> yeah, that that will be the one nice thing forever yeah. and ever. From someone who grew up around a lot of other different churches, yeah, it's so crazy how often Eve taking the apples used as an excuse for just blatant misogyny. Crazy. Yeah, silly woman. I think Ooh, my favorite take. Apples. I think my favorite take is that women get periods because it's a punishment for Eve. That one's <gasps> that one's insane. If to somebody me. ever actually said that to me with their full chest, I would punch them straight in the throat. I mean, they deserve it. They do. Hmm. Wow. Crazy people, crazy yeah. times. But that was that that was probably my favorite line in the whole book, to be mm. honest. Yeah. And on my second read through, I think I'll understand what it means <laughs> in context with the story. There you go. I also, through reading the whole thing, felt the same level. And also it might just purely be because I read it on digital. But that issue we read for Silver Surfer, where it was like a big old loop. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I felt the same way reading this. I was like, okay, everything please come together now so I can actually put all the pieces in place. Like, I've put everything in my basket and now I just need to know where mm-hmm. it goes. Thank you. Thank you very much. I I tell you what, though, some of my favorite issues in this thing were the ones, I think there was two of them, where there were the four timelines happening at the same time. They won an Eisner for that issue. That makes sense. Yeah, that was a good issue. That, that was, was good. Fun. Oh, I love that kind of crap. I love when people do new fun things with comics. Like other people have done that since, but that was the first time I saw that approach in an issue. It's the only thing that keeps me coming back to Tom Taylor's Nightwing every now and then, where he's like, hey, this whole issue, one big panel. I'm like, okay, I will check that out. Next issue, POV Nightwing. I'm like, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be fun. But it, I, I'm a sucker for those two. Oh. <sighs> Mentally, I'm going through, I'm like, the Apple thing actually makes sense because they definitely took the bite when they checked out the time machine and some of them got punished because specifically Mac is the one who got punished. I love they're like, hey, this is such a rare thing to not get it. And three out of four of them didn't get the radiation poisoning. If I was Mac, I think that would be the thing that bugged me the most. Where It's like, oh, come on. (laughs) This this is a very intentional F you (laughs) from the universe to me specifically. But do we um, want to talk about that a little bit? Do we ta- want to talk about Mac's fate? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the only character in this book that doesn't have an older self to show because there is no older self. And we get the idea in this book that the only thing that is fixed is someone's death. And that's a, that's a hard one to get away from because... It, there's so many great time travel stories, which is like, let's try to avoid this death. We need to save X person. And having death be just a moment that is unbeatable in, you know, just going through time normally to have it be just as unbeatable going through a, you know, a time travel story. That's intimidating. I think it's the only time the death is actually given the the gravitas that it like actually has because it's unavoidable and it's scary. And it's one of the things that made me so sad reading this is just the fact that everything goes back to normal, but Mac is the one person that has to pay the price for it. And I was just wondering what everyone else thought if anyone, cause I just want, 
I I'm still trying to figure out my feelings on it. And sometimes you got to bury your gaze. (laughs) I was hoping to avoid that. I was going to not say it. I'm like, listen, I I have plenty to say to Brian K. Vaughn, but this, I'm hoping that one of my smart co-hosts will point out something that I missed so that I don't have to. And so this doesn't have to go on TV tropes and we can move on. In other news, I think she got to be okay because no one else other than KJ got to have her first kiss in front of the lesbian pride flag sunset behind her. Was that really what happened? How did I not know Yes, that? look at the sunset <laughs> behind them. Did you also miss in, there's literally a panel in, I think it's the second to last issue, maybe the last, oh, it's the last issue when KJ and Mac are looking each other in the eyes and they just full blown just wash the lesbian flag over the front of them as Terminator Tiffany shoots them. Terminator so- Tiffany. I'm finding the right that moment. Is a- <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally hanging on my wall back there and I didn't notice. Okay, cool. <laughs> No, they do that a lot in this book. Yeah, I'm finding Every the time... other one. I'm finding the sunset. Man, you are the resident on this topic. How I understand. This? <laughs> like Man, I said, I, I was to too busy trying me. to figure out the plot at the moment. Every time I mention the trans character, you start frantically flicking. Did you miss her? You missed <gasps> her, didn't you? She was the I... cool future lady with yeah. the like cra- the, the the crazy. Do you want to buy my shit in my? Had, like, yeah. <laughs> Her coat yeah. was the trans flag. And then her cover is her, like, it. the cover is just her. And then it's, like, super trans colors all over the cover. Like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a point in the story. It was just, like. It's, like, that's just a It's the subtext. Matt Wilson was, like, I know what you are. <laughs> he was that little dog. I was like, hold on, I gotta explain to a resident gay exactly what's going on here. <laughs> hold on. Okay, I didn't have I, to think about I the time it. travel. I didn't have to think about the time travel, so I got you to got look to at other You got to see the, the other fun stuff. shit. <laughs> I'm sitting here just being like, why are the old people so fucked up? <laughs> why Why can't they just be chill? Okay. Why are the young people so ugly? I'm, I'm mad. <laughs> you can either be unchill or ugly. There's no in-between. <laughs> That's why I'm so unchill, because I'm hot as fuck. <laughs> That's why Alexis Crazy. is so chill. Fuck you. <laughs> we got the same face. <laughs> Someone Venmoed the other, me the other day, and they saw you on my Venmo, and they said, you and your sister really got the same face. And I said, <laughs> I can't be getting this from New Yorkers. <laughs> oh, no. How did they know we were siblings? Because we got like the wanna... same face. <laughs> What is my Venmo face? Oh, yeah, I feel like okay. I'm on an ep- uh, I'm on Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Um, <laughs> gosh, see, I will go back through and I will catch all the fun shit because I spent the entire first time through being like, "Can we slow down for a second? I'm still trying to catch my breath." <laughs> Could you slow down for five minutes? <laughs> okay, so here's my question though. Yes. Whose mm-hmm. philosophy do you think was right? The old timers or the young people? The young people, because young people are always right. Dun, dun, dun. That's, okay, yeah, perfect. 
<laughs> Next, they ended in a truce. So, honestly, what this book is saying is that centrism is actually the perfect solution to everything. Written by Rick Remender. I was, yep. Mm-hmm. Had that episode, I, I haven't thought of anything else since. Here is my one of my spicy takes. I actually do think the old timers might be right with this one. Like, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't see a lot of value in going back and editing my own life. You know, like, mm-hmm. ultimately, I've never been offered the opportunity to go and edit, like, the timeline. But everyone's thought of that question, like, oh, would you go back and change anything if you could? I totally understand people that are like, absolutely, I would. But, like, I'm very mm-hmm. much a the things that happened to me brought me to this moment, and I'm happy in this moment. I'm happy with yeah. who I've become. I'm <clears throat> happy with who I am becoming. And and so I actually think that there is a level of maturity to obviously the whole war thing is crazy. Like you don't need to go to war for this, but I think there is a certain amount of maturity in just the idea that I am going to take what I have and move forward instead of trying to go back and give myself a different hand of cards over and over and over again. I guess. What do you two think of that? Um, it's one of the, I was thinking like the young, the young people, their ideology was like, everyone in history should get to live in the best version of that past possible, right? Because it won't change the future. And they just have to keep doing it for every period in history. So it's like, mm -hmm. what's hard, though, is then we learn in the book that time is like a, um, oh, hell, what is it called? A tape. And the like, you can only rewrite over it so many times before it gets ruined. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of the big reveals <clears throat> towards the end of the story. Is that like time is a tangible thing that is starting to wear out because we're going back and changing things over and over and over again. Yeah. Where it's like from a philosophical angle, it makes sense because there's, you know, there's so many periods in human history where the, the suffering is just the default. You know, there's so many people that have needlessly suffered just because they were born in the wrong time, born in the wrong place, and they had to live through history and bad things happen in history. Where it's like everyone wants that idealized version where it's like you don't have to be afraid to be you while you're alive. And I think that that's perfect, but the repercussions from I think adding those repercussions to it I don't know. It's it's hard because like you can't just accidentally ruin all of human history trying to make things better. I do like though the philosophy of that on a personal level you wouldn't change anything because all your bad moments and all your good moments brought you to exactly where you are now and to risk that person is a pretty big gamble. Can I tell you something kind of crazy? I yes. have been reading this book and its thesis is that our framework of looking back at the, on the past as a scary place mm-hmm. is the result of propaganda from industrialists who don't want us to look at other systems than what we have. And so they have only presented spe- hyper-specific moments from the past of how scary it was and how much we did not like 
the past so that it's like, well, if you don't like being in capitalism, what you're going to go back to being a hunter gatherer. You think that's going to work out for you? And this whole book, berries all day. This whole book (laughs) is about pulling back our viewpoint and realizing that there were 50,000 years of Homo sapien society before we started writing down. And if we use archaeology, we can see that they tried hundreds of thousands of types of societies that benefited them so well that Mm -hmm. this narrow little line through time that we've created ourselves is bullshit. And we Mm -hmm. can dismantle what we have now and try other systems because there is a Mm -hmm. history of humanity dismantling systems and trying new systems. So anyways, down with the patriarchy and then... (laughs) Yes. More paper girls. That's the that's the legitimate. Listen, if we could just undo one thing, if we just undo the fucking patriarchy, we could so much, so much end societies built on warmongering and we could solve so much. It's crazy. I'm very excited to be reading this book. I'm excited to learn more about these societies. I'm not very far in. I basically just gotten to the point where they're like, everything you know is a lie. And I was like, okay, now tell me the truth. Like, okay, (laughs) you've got me. Now yes, tell me and... more. I want to. It's like I want to read one of those books that they were going through on breaking down patriarchy, talking about ancient civilizations before the rise of domineering cultures. I want to read one of those because that's fascinating to me. It is very interesting. Are we? Um, hmm. Oh, you go, you go. I've been asked talking. No, a lot. no. I was just. I was probably going to say the same thing. You are. I was going to say. How do we feel about time travel as a genre? And what do we think of Paper Girls as a time travel story? Definitely wasn't going to say the same thing then. (laughs) Um, Lexi, you go. I think time travel's fun. I feel like for me, it's not my first choice of things to dabble in when I'm reading or thinking complexly, which doesn't happen often. So I save that for other topics. Um, But... I feel like Paper Girls did it in a really fun way. I feel like it was a little hard to understand at some times of where they were going and why. But I feel like once it finally did get its footing in that last half, it made so much more sense and it felt so much more cohesive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if that was something that could have happened throughout the entire thing, I would have liked it much more than I did. So I don't know. I mean, we already kind of said that anyway. Yeah. Um, time travel for me is one of those things where it's like you have to you have to nail it from the start because if you don't, you're going to end up with a jumble mess because, you know, just narratives as a whole are meant to be told in one direction and time travel naturally just goes against that. It takes really smart storytelling to be able to tell some really great time travel stories. Um, but I think that when it's told well, there's some of my favorite narratives out there just because they're very, very inventive, very, very creative. Um, Just thinking about one of my favorite, one of my favorite shows is Doctor Who. And of course, that's all about time travel. And my favorite episodes in Doctor Who are the ones that use time travel perfectly. I think about the episode, The Girl in the Fireplace, where time travel isn't... A lot of Doctor Who episodes, they'll do the time travel at the beginning and be like, okay, we're in this place now. We need to solve X problem for because, you know, this place is being invaded by Y aliens and bada bing, bada boom, we'll be out of here and on to the next place. 
But the girl in the fireplace is special because the time travel keeps happening through that story because the doctor keeps visiting the same fireplace, but each time he goes in, it's a few years later. And he's visiting visiting um, the Madame de Pompadour throughout her entire life. And it's really, really creative the way that he, um, you know, just assists her through this alien alien invasion for lack of a better term and um it's just they spark my imagination like no other when things like that happen it's it makes me it makes me happy so i think time travel is a lot of fun the two best time travel stories hands down no contests are in this order about time one of the greatest movies of all time Mm mm-hmm and number two, eleven twenty two sixty three. I adore that book. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for Alexis. It was too slow of a burn. Yeah. But I adore that book. Excuse and something it does so well is giving you the rules of time travel at the beginning. And then putting stress on those rules. And then introducing as a big wallop at the end, unintended consequences. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest pay time travel tropes that wasn't so much a part of paper girls was the unintended consequences trope the hg wells the time machine that like if you change something shit might go bad and eleven twenty two sixty three is so good at that so mm-hmm. good at like boom sucker and then your heart shatters into one million bits because you really liked Everything else that led up to those unintended consequences. <laughs> and it's terrible, but brilliant. One now of the I'm best just, books ever written. Now I'm just mad that Paper Girls didn't have more locks. I wanted my freaky underground cannibals. Bring them it back. Had, it had enough freaky little weirdos. They, they did. Ha- you cannot have the, too many freaky little weirdos. They hit, but they did hit the quota. Like you have to have at least a few. And like, boy, did those young kids hit the quota. Freaky little weirdos. Oh, I can't get over the the like pyramid eyes. Like how oh, how y'all have awkward. triangle pupils? Don't do it. It's not natural. <laughs> Listen, there are a few things that aren't natural in this book. The triangles and the lesbians. Anyway, let's move on to questions. God damn it. That, that's, that one. Like, that's why we killed one of them. Anyways, <laughs> Anne said, I've been reading this book and I haven't noticed the lesbian flag every single time these characters are around each other. <sighs> Let's get back to the gobbly goobly fourth dimension aliens. Let's get past all this queer shit. <laughs> Damn gays move. I'm trying to see the time travel. Get out of the way. <laughs> Where's the plot? <laughs> get your damn character moment out of my way. Gaze on the plot again. Get him off the lawn. Want him to stand? You see the cover for the kiss issue where it's just their feet, and you're like, God damn it, we're not getting any answers in this one. <laughs> I'm trying to understand the ins and outs of time travel. I'm sick of your teenage awakening. I know this is a very formative time for you. But I- what the hell is going on? <laughs> Brian! Brian! This is some of the best representation you ever done. Get it the fuck out the way! 
I need to know the plot. <laughs> when you hit 50, I need your voice to switch to that permanently. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was wonderful. Get these little lesbian hood rats out of my way. Oh, jeez. Good book. Fun book. I've actually enjoyed... I, the more I talk about this book, the more I like it. I like this book a lot now, a lot more now towards the end of the episode than I did when we started. That's always the purpose of the show. Yeah. Lex, give us your final thoughts before we move into questions. Final thoughts. I'm very glad we read this. I feel like it was a fun journey. I definitely do want to read it again so that I feel like I could have a greater grasp of everything that was going down. But I loved the little inter-character beats, their Mm -hmm. development. I loved the fun silliness that comes with a friendship group of 12-year-old girls. Been there, done that. I'll punch you in the boob. Enough said. I like it. Should we move into questions? Absolutely. All right. So you'll remember from last week, dear listener, and if you did not tune in last week for our Danger and Other Unknown Risks episode, I highly recommend it. I think that book is very worth your time. If you liked Paper Girls, you'll love that. And this question was a combo question from Owen Saylor. So I'll read it again for you as a reminder. Hello again, Comics Collective. For my question, I have to ask, what do you feel are the strengths of, for this half, Brian K. Vaughn as a writer? And which books do you think he's written in his career that has showcased that strength the best? Much love, Owen Saylor. Anne wants to go first. I want to go first because the best thing Brian K. Vaughn does is little groups of teenage weirdos. And I know this because my first Brian K. Bond book was The Runaways, and it was fantastic. I love those kids so much. And Paper Girls is exactly the same vibe. He nailed it then. He nailed it here. It's it's perfect. Yeah. that's I, I love his little groups of weirdos and freaks and gays. I mean, that's just our friend group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Alexis, what do you think is Brian K. Vaughn's strength as a writer? You've read a few of his books. A few. Saga and this, too. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was like, I can only think of the one other. But I was going to say, of the two that I've read, this man understands space, if I do say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like definitely the creating of the scenes and the characters and the high stakes of where they're at for sure feels like a strength. Just like the different worlds and the magnitude. I mean, even just for Saga. Saga's a whole other beast. It's crazy the stuff that get he gets away with in, in that one. It's got a lot. He's got a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> I think one of the things that Brian K. Vaughn does the very best is making sure he always has something to say with his comics. Mm-hmm. They might not always age the best. It might not even be something that you're like, huh, I had never thought about it that way. But he never comes to bat without something to say. And I found out recently that comes from Neil Gaiman, who Brian K. Vaughn, as an aspiring comic book writer, came to Neil Gaiman and said, Neil, I am working so hard 
and I think I'm doing my craft so well, but nobody cares about my comics. What am I missing? What are you doing that I am missing? Can you help me? And Neil Gaiman read them, and he said, you are so right. These are technically brilliant, and you haven't said anything with them. You have nothing to say. I think you should take five to ten years and go live a life, learn some things, meet some people, and come back and take all this talent you have and channel it into telling worthwhile human stories. And I think Brian K. Vaughn took that in stride, and his very best comics are the ones that make you say, has he been following me around my whole life? Because this feels exactly how I feel. Like, and you just talked about in Paper Girls. Brian K. Vaughn is not a queer teenage girl. Like, but that is exactly what it feels like to realize that you might be queer. This little interaction with KJ and Mac. There are times in Saga before I was married that I didn't get. And then I read that again after I was married. And I was like, man, that is exactly what it feels like to be married and young. To just be like, oh, man, I didn't know you as well as I thought I did right out of the gate. But like, I really like you. And we're learning this as we go. Saga does such a good job of that. And I just I think I latch on to Brian K. Vaughn's work so much because there are so many times that I just feel it. I, it feels mm-hmm. like it has this human factor. It feels like it has a lived in factor that makes it last and resonate with people. <laughs> I love it. You, I think we did good on that question. Yeah, I, I can read the next one. So too. Go. All right. This one comes from Mason Gonzalez. This is Paper Girls. Read the story and liked it overall. A cool core group of characters. Did any of you read this as it was coming out? And if you did, did the story manage to keep its pace month to month? Or is it only truly enjoyable when reading it on in one go? Um, is it easier or harder to enjoy books such as this where it's one huge tapestry or do you prefer to be able to enjoy individual issues as they come? Mason, let me tell you something. I never in my life have read something week to week. Realized that the other day. I have never actually participated in the funness of the week to week issues with people. So for me, the big tapestry is the way to go but also because I love big stories. So that might just be me. I think as someone who's read monthly comics for the last 10 years, which is absolutely insane to me, I think I'm pretty sure it was last, it was either last month or this month. There was my 10 year anniversary reading monthly comics. And it's, it's so hard to be a comic that is so good week to week or month to month. It is unbeatable. It is an unbelievable experience. Um, it's always so exciting when you have that book that you really love to wake up on a Wednesday morning and be like, I have something to look forward to today. Um, especially, I would always be impatient and I would always buy a digital copy. Even if I knew my comic store was pulling a copy for me later, I'd be like, I need to read this now. I need to see it first thing. And I don't know if I felt that way about a comic since like um that future state aquaman book came out it's it's been a it's a little, a little bit of a dry spell but you know sometimes i think the that's that's a great experience but 
in the benefit of comics that do have those larger pictures, I think those are the ones that stick with me longer, though. I think those are the ones that I go back to. I'm like, this is a masterpiece. This is a work of art because it's so much more than just getting me excited every month. It's I feel like those are the ones that really have things to say. I agree. I I think overall, I prefer comics in collections, but there is something so magical about month to month comics. Mm-hmm. Like I, I haven't really read my monthlies for about five weeks. And then the last three days, I've just been sitting down and like going through them. And it feels reading comics month to month instead of sitting down for a big meal of paper girls. It's like sitting down for tapas. You're like, ooh, I'll get a little bite of this. 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 And it's so, so fun. Like, I don't I don't know. I feel like if I want to sink my teeth into a story, it's got to be the tapestry model. But if I'm just looking to have fun and, like, let a comic be a comic, I like the small plates, man. I might not remember what the hell was happening in Batman last month until, like, five pages into this issue. But, like, boy... Does it always hit to be like, what's mm-hmm. this little fucko up to this month? I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, shit. He fallen through space. This crazy. How did he get here? Oh, yeah. That's how he got there. Like that experience is so fun to me and so uniquely comics. Yeah. As someone who went out yesterday to celebrate free comic book day with a local comic book crawl, we went to like three or four different stores and just got so many things, many of which I did not need, but I was so happy to get. You just go into random stores and you're like, what's interesting? What's on the shelves? What do I want? I pulled random Dr. Afra's She-Hulks. Um, oh, God. I pulled freaking Robin because Batwoman was on the cover. It's just, it, it, it feels like going to the candy store sometimes. And I do like that so, so much. I'm pretty sure that Batwoman omnibus is still waiting for you at Midtown Comics. I don't I, think it anyone's is got it. I think good. it's there for it you. better still be there when I get there. Because <laughs> it's it's coming home with me. To your New York home. Bingo. All right. And do you want to read the next question? Absolutely. This one is from Linford Smith. Paper Girl's question. The inability to change the course of time was something that Mackenzie... Hey, this one's fitting. Okay, and the gang had to come to terms with. Just in general, do you think that was done well or should she have been saved? What were some things about the future, the passage of time that you thought were handled well or did you actually not like? Also, what was everyone's favorite panel? So, I think it hurts me emotionally It does feel a bit bury the gaze, but I also think it does have something to say where it's just sometimes you cannot predict how life is going to go, but that doesn't mean you should live it any other way. And I think that gets hinted, hinted for Mac from the very beginning where they're talking about her smoking her cigarettes all the time. And she didn't, she say something like, well, I wouldn't look as cool if I wasn't doing it or something. I just, she has that very carefree attitude towards life where she's just like, I'm just here to be me. And that's about it. And I think that's the most anyone can do it. I think a lot, I've thought a lot in the last couple of years, like coming out as trans and just life expectancy for queer people, especially trans people in the U S is not 
this is definitely not the same as it is for for cis het people and so you end up thinking about like if something random were to happen to me just because of who i was would that change would i want to stop living the way i'm living just to make that easier to make my life longer and then you you have the point where you're like if i was unhappy what's the point of living a longer life and i like that mac had this moment this journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance and even though she doesn't save herself she has no regrets at the end of the story and i think that's the most important thing i agree i am not the authority on this but for whatever reason it didn't ring mean-hearted for mac Mm -hmm. like mac never actually bites the bullet in this comic book you know Mm -hmm. what i mean there's never like (coughs) mac moment it's just like we get to see a character coming to terms with her mortality basically like we're told it's sooner than it should be but i don't know i I personally thought it was an interesting character beat for her, who is like the most reckless of these characters to change a lot to be like, oh, man, I'm going to prevent this. I'm going to get away. And then realizing she can't and then having to be sort of nihilistic about it, like, oh, I'm going to die anyway. And then finally to no, I'm going to make sure that I live because I know that I'm going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I definitely if someone else feels like this is Barry the gays, like absolutely you're allowed to feel like that. For me, because she never died on panel and because it seemed to just be a motivation for her character art, it didn't rub me the wrong way. So mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I feel like for me also it was a little bit of that taste of like, oh, time travel has consequences. Like mm-hmm. That a little bit of that, like kind of what we talked about earlier. And I feel like her character out of all the other ones handled it the best way. Like I feel like she had the most reason to come to understanding of that point. Um, and I don't know. I definitely agree. Like it definitely drove her character story mm-hmm. and arc much farther than any of the other ones I feel like would have. I've talked myself into liking it on the show. So <laughs> good. good, we've, good, come, good. we've had character development in the last hour and a half. <laughs> so that's neat. Look at the sunset behind Anne. What is it telling us about her current moment? Lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see a sunset. I don't know what you're talking about. Lesbian. That's actually what you hear in the background after your first kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Let's be. You did it. <laughs> you did it. You did it. Oh, we are learning so much about the queer experience today. <laughs> Lesby Cenos, you did it. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, gang! Yeah. Paper girls, question. This one comes from Matt, not Matt Draper, different Matt. Uh, Hope y'all are all vibey as chatting about a YA masterpiece, Paper Girls, this week. 
I love the series. It's one of my all-time faves. I especially love its approach to messy, complicated female friendships, something we don't get to see nearly enough. However, the older I get, the more surprised I am that Paper Girls has an all-male creative team for its entire run. How does Paper Girls benefit or suffer from having a team of men writing the coming of age of our favorite gals? How would Paper Girls have changed if there were more women in the room, whether it was a single woman letterer or entirely female creative team? Cheers for the pod. Don't have many people to chat comics with, so listening to y'all chat comics makes me feel like I'm hanging out with old friends. Mm -hmm. Much love, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our shenanigans. Very extra shenanigan-y today. I'm going to turn this one over to our local, there aren't enough women in comics correspondent, Anne Brenneman. What do you think about the all-male creative team on Paper Girls? I don't know what you're talking about. I've never had that take ever. I've never, never talked about this before. Listen, I think that having, I'll admit that when I got to the end of volume one of Paper Girls, it was funny seeing just the, their, um because they had their yearbook photos at the end. And it's just like, you just read this issue of all female characters. Here's the team. And it's men, 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 menly men. And I'm like, okay, cool. Men, 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 men. No, you keep talking and I'm just going to slowly no. get louder and drown you your voice out. The entire time. <laughs> it's all I hear when I read DC solicits. <laughs> it's, I think we really hit the nail on the head earlier when we were talking about like, this is the most appropriate way they could tell the story because they told the story of these characters, not specifically their experience as teen girls and what that's like, but just their experience as children, just their experience as people. This doesn't have anything to say about really the, the different troubles that teenage girls have growing up, the different experiences that women have the men in general. It's just a story of people who get thrown into an awkward situation and have to find their way out. And for that reason, the book succeeds. It's the same reason that like, you can, it's, it's, it's a common misnomer. Where it's like, you can have men writing women. It's just that's, <laughs> they have to want to be there. One of the things I think about is I think often about Brian Reed's Miss Marvel run, where it's like the first run that Carol Danvers had had as a character since the seventies on her own. And it got handed to Brian Reed uh, because he was, you know, kind of besties with Brian Michael Bendis at the time. And he had written on the Ultimate Spider-Man game. And Bendis is like, yo, we need to get you into comics. Can we get this? Can we get this kid something to write? And Marvel's like, no one's doing anything with Carol Danvers. Give it to him. See how he does. And you read the story and you're like, it's so obvious that this man does not get this character at all. He's just here to get a paycheck and leave. And he's trying things that he really doesn't have the the space to try to be doing. And that happens a lot, but knowing your own limitations as a writer and how best to tell a story, you can still tell a meaningful story with characters who are not like you. And I think Brian K. Vaughn does a great job here. I think he does a great job in Runaways. And I think he does a great job in Saga too. He stumbles at points, but he is continually getting better as a writer. And I think compared to how he was when he started, he is leaps and bounds beyond like why the last man days. And it's, it's great growth. We love to see it. 
but yeah, it's just know what you're talking about and be able to tell a sincere story about what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, since it's like an image comic, it's not like they're pushing women out of the way to tell their their comic. It's like I feel like sometimes in DC or Marvel where it's like we have this female character and we gave it to a guy because, you know, guys sell. Sorry, Tom King, I'm not talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) We like you. We We like like you. That Wonder Woman book is such a tricky situation. It's like, yes, I think a woman should probably be on the Wonder Woman book, but I, I love both these guys. <laughs> I, I've had great interactions with both these guys. I love them to bits, but yeah, the, I'm just going to let them have it because they're going to kill it. So it'll be it's going to be so it's going to be so good. And like, maybe this is the wrong take. I think a good Wonder Woman comic is more important right now <laughs> than anything else. It's been so long. Since it was yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Throw us some crumbs. We'll take please, the please, sir, just a few. <laughs> just give me a little bit of Wonder Woman, like, please. Is I've it not so much? <laughs> it's like Tom King has the name appeal. Is it par- partially the comics industry that they don't give their women as much attention, and so they don't always have the same name appeal? Partially, yes, but also we just need to focus on the now, and this is the right move for the now. There is a an all star woman only wonder woman run that is yet to come that needs to happen sooner rather than later but for right now i'm okay with tom king hell yeah lex what do you think about a bunch of boys writing paper girls i feel like nothing rubbed me the wrong way while Mm -hmm. reading this i feel like it was very true to their characters where i felt like nothing felt odd um i honestly i I feel like sometimes I, I can feel it if there's something weird going on. I did not have that feeling. So, I don't know. I definitely agree with Anne. This <laughs> was a good one. I liked it, but I'm also a boy, so. <laughs> so, your opinion is invalid, invalid thank you. Opinion. I don't remember asking you to come to this show. <laughs> How dare you? I'm sorry. Did you not see the paper girls in the title, Carlos? Get the hell out of here. Excuse me, did I hear him just start talking to me right now? What is happening? (laughs) What is going on? On my Lesbian Pride Flag Sunset podcast. (laughs) I did have a good laugh at Free Comic Book Day because I talk so much about quote-unquote boy comics, which, you know, don't actually exist, but kind of exist. And there was actually a Free Comic Book Day where it's like, including pages from boy comics number three. I'm like, you've (gasps) got to be shitting me. That's not a real thing. Excuse me? And it is. There's actually boy comics out there trademarked. Hmm. Crazy. Believe it or not, published by DC Comics. (laughs) Anyway, should we roll out of the episode? Absolutely. We shall. Everyone, if you like us and like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a written five-star review, and we will read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. Let us know how good we did. Guys, I think you did great today. Perfect episode. Nothing wrong. We keep killing it. And that's just wanted you to know. I would write the comment, but, you know, I got you right here, so why would I? Um, Yeah. 
we're good. Yeah. Thank you, man. Love you. But we will see you all next week for our episode um, on American-born Chinese with Eric. Resident of the pod. It was fun. Ahead of the Disney Plus show. So if you're getting excited about the Disney Plus show, we're covering the comic. And to whichever one of you fans specifically wrote in and asked that we cover it. I don't remember who you were. But here you go. Ta-da. We did it. Yeah, come for lots of American-born Chinese and maybe a little bit of June. Who knows? Just we haven't Paul recorded things. the episode yet. <laughs> just hashtag, hashtag just Paul things. Bye. Soon. Bye. Toodaloo.